I'm Eric Bricker, and I've been a psychotherapist for over 25 years. One thing I can tell you for certain is that no one makes it through life unscathed. At some point, many of us will rely on the trusted counsel of another person to help us navigate difficult times, or to reconcile a troubled past. Whether conventional or unconventional, professional or informal, there are a lot of different forms that helping relationships can take. This podcast is an exploration into what makes these relationships work. Who are the people that help us? How do they help us? And what do people need help with? My hope is to uncover as much as I can about this very human phenomenon, and I hope that you'll join me. This is the Good Counsel Podcast. I'm Eric Bricker, and this is the Good Counsel Podcast. I am joined today by the great and powerful Amy Effman. Amy is a licensed marriage and family therapist, in addition to being a master's level addiction professional, and in addition to being a pretty accomplished professional in her area, Amy has a really interesting uh, personal story to share as well, so... I'm excited to have you here, Amy. Thank you for joining me. Eric, thank you so much for having me. It's really special to be able to have the forum to share some of my story, especially being that it's pretty recent. And I'm hoping that I will be able to influence or share with others a message that could benefit them or their families in some way. So whenever I'm talking to somebody about something that's like deeply personal, the biggest challenge is... How do you introduce the topic? But you you gave me the lane in there, and you did it when you submitted your bio to me, because you picked your own title for the episode, which was Surviving and Thriving. That's it. That's the segue into that conversation. So I'm going to ask you what you meant when you picked that title. Thank you for asking. So the past year and a half has been a pretty huge obstacle for me personally. I was presented with a medical journey. In fact, my vision of creating a family and starting a different type of life, the reality that I had at that point was, I don't want to say taken from me because I'm certainly not a victim, but my life and my future shifted significantly In July of 2022, I was in the best physical shape I thought I could be, um, working really hard, loving my work, loving my family, loving my friends, loving my life. And I learned um, in a voluntary medical appointment that life was about to change drastically for me. So ultimately, in July of 2022, I explored creating a family. And at that time, I learned through testing that I had a bigger obstacle, which would interfere with that life goal. And in that process, what I found out was that I had an aggressive form of cancer, which was hormone-based and would eliminate several of the realities that I once thought would be coming soon, if you will. And so part of that experience looked like shifting gears from a reality where I am a young woman who's very much connected to family and friends and had a lot of optimistic thoughts and was incredibly solution-oriented, chronically 
optimistic and recognized that my reality was about to take a pretty big nosedive. And in that experience, I learned a lot about the beauty of the present moment. So Amy, you go from this place where you've got everything figured out, you've got these plans, visions for the future, it's very carefully and meticulously mapped out, you get this curveball, and now all of a sudden there's this shift in perspective where life is really more about thinking and feeling and noticing what's going on in the moment. Tell us a little bit more about that shift in perspective. Thank you. I have thought so much about this, about shifting perspective from future-oriented thoughts and thinking and planning to living life in the present and the beauty of really what the present represents for me. The representation of my life currently is I'm surviving cancer. I'm alive. I have family around me. I have a brother who's about to give birth with his wife. I have parents who are healthy and alive. I have friends and family that have been there for me from the beginning. And so when I think about the things that I once cared about, I just recognize that the importance of those details is less significant. Also, the control perhaps I had in my mind about what I should be doing or what I'd like to be doing, because I don't have any control or power over that future, I find that remaining kind of mindful and present has been very helpful. So some silly examples are like when going out with friends, I think, wear the new shoes, wear the great outfit, get the better seats at the concert, take the longer cruise, don't wait for the future when it's the perfect time to do so, or when I have the right event to do it. If I'm thinking about making a financial decision, an investment, make the investment, take the trip. (laughs) So I've been sharing with some of my friends and people in my support group that what I've learned through this experience has been really enjoying the present is so significant. We can't plan for future events or life experiences. Really, we should take day to day and really enjoy it and live it up as much as possible. You know, Amy, that was very inspiring. And uh, I think I need to go on a cruise. That's what I'm thinking right <laughs> now. It's very inspiring. I hope, uh, I hope more people make those decisions after hearing you today. So it's interesting because it sounds like you really move from this place where you're thinking about this very future-oriented life to one that's more grounded in what's going on now, not taking anything for granted. So get the shoes, go on the cruise, get the better seats at the concert, because all of these moments really matter, and we don't know how many of them we have. That's exactly how I feel. The moments that we have to live for and that I fought for at this point through treatment, it's right now. Like The time is (laughs) right now in so many words. We can't necessarily, I can't necessarily assume that the things I really want are going to happen in the future. So a lot of the things that I've kind of have been instilled in me over my lifetime have been, you know, work really hard and work up to certain life goals. But rather than thinking that way, I've had to shift gears again to think that um, the time is now. I'm grateful to have today. I'm grateful to have my family with me. 
I'm so happy that my parents are with me and that they have their health and that my brother has moved forward in his life. He got married. He's having this child. Let's all get excited. Let's embrace all of these blessings that we have today. And I think I learned a lot from the support system that I built during the time that I was exposed to all of these obstacles. I was connected with a breast friend support group. And in doing so, what we decided was we were going to take adventure trips. We were going to join, well, they had already been part of a co-ed soccer and sports league. They encouraged me to join the league. And I thought, oh my gosh, (laughs) So I get diagnosed with cancer, I find out that my life is going to shift significantly, and now all of a sudden, I'm exposed to things that I would not normally do, they're not really within my comfort zone, things like running around on a soccer field, going through chemo, or maybe singing the song when the karaoke party begins. So I've really been challenged to get outside of my old self and to explore new ways of having a good time and really living. I think that's kind of the point that I'm trying to drive home is that living and my life and the present have shifted significantly since I've been given another chance. And so as I think about the people that I treat in my work life, this is where I think there's some parallels um, for families and for individuals that are battling mental health disorders or battling substance abuse disorders, I find that there are some parallels in that we can live in the present, we can take one day at a time, we can sometimes take one hour at a time, and that we have to be so mindful of the people that we invite into our lives while we're going through the struggle, because they can really support the process, or at times they're not there, and then we create support from other individuals. So that's a pretty inspiring look at your experience as a whole. And it's really kind of uplifting to hear. When I think about these sort of tragic things that go on in people's lives, I do a lot of grief work and things like this, you often see the embitterment that comes with feeling singled out by fate in a way that maybe is unfair. And that can make people very angry, very bitter, callous in some ways. But it sounds like you really have leaned into this much more optimistic and positive view, and that this entire experience has really opened you up to some new relationships and some new hobbies and activities. And, you know, you make this sound like you're having fun. Well, thank you. Having fun has always been very important to me, but I will say that there were many pieces of the puzzle that contributed to the shift in my perspective. And part of that, you know, I really have to thank the support system and the support team and the medical team that I've had at Lynn Cancer Institute, because I had throughout my chemotherapy sessions, I had music therapy, I had art therapy, I had massage therapy while I was getting chemo and freezing my head uh, to preserve my hair from falling out. I had... (laughs) these amazing human beings come in and sing to me and play guitar and uh, rub my feet and really kind of wipe the tears away for both me and my mom, who is is there every step of the way, really kind of my guardian angel. I had this amazing infusion nurse who was so supportive every step of the way and really just 
reminded me that I was going to get through this, that she had seen other people get through this. But all of these people that contributed to my wellness and my care, it was really a collaborative effort with family members and uh, medical professionals and mental health professionals. Um, I have a team with palliative care and a palliative care doctor that is nothing less than exceptional that's helped me manage the symptoms. And, you know, typically we think of chemotherapy being very difficult physically and medically, but also, you know, what it, the, the role that it takes on your mental health and allowing you to kind of carve the way to see the light at the end of the tunnel, you know, therapists and, and all sorts of professionals that have been able to support my journey have been, their support for me has been nothing short of a miracle and a blessing because it really, it's, it's taken a village for me to get to a place where now I feel, okay, I'm on the other side of the treatment. I'm 16 and a half, 17 months from my initial diagnosis, and now it's time for me to start speaking about my experience so other women or men or family members that are in a situation like mine or what was um, can feel some level of hope that there is some light at the end of the tunnel because it becomes very, very difficult during the time that you're in it for the family members and the individual going through it to see the light. So my hope is that in my day-to-day life, I can practice being present, having hope, sharing these fun times and fun experiences, and keeping a good attitude through all of this, because at times it got very, very difficult for me to maintain my optimism and positivity. And I didn't want that part of my being and my personality and my soul to be ripped from me any further. I wanted to maintain you know, that solution-oriented and optimistic perception of life that I always had. Hard not to be inspired by that framing of this experience that you had, which was at times potentially life-threatening, right? And I think one of the things that you said that I'm thinking about is the team of people that you're that are treating you. Because you think about medical care, it breeds a certain level of, I think, compassion fatigue mm-hmm. in providers. And I know the experience of folks with severe medical illness, oftentimes, when talking about their their care providers, not always a positive one, right? Sometimes it's very positive and sometimes it's not. But I think it speaks to how important bedside manner, encouragement, and compassion for the person going through treatment, how much that can make a difference in how they approach the entire experience. And it sounds like you have a lot of gratitude and have a lot of nice things to say about these people that helped you. Yeah, so much gratitude. I mean, family, friends came together, rabbi, (laughs) my team while going through the treatment, as I mentioned in the infusion room, they have all of these providers that are available. And these providers are there because of the donations that other people give to the facility and the hospital. Let's see, I just, I feel like I had so much support. When I think of what a support system looks like, that has also been shaped in a totally different way. The people that I met throughout this journey have really been such staples in my life, and I'm hopeful that they will continue to be a part of my journey indefinitely because they've been so warm and welcoming and incredible to me during some of my worst days. So I am so grateful for that. I think that as I'm speaking, I'm thinking a lot about the people that don't always get recognized, which are the caretakers and the family support. 
and kind of the parallel in being a marriage and family therapist and working with a lot of families in crisis, going through pretty difficult times, I think I got a much clearer understanding of what that looks like for a caretaker, for a adult parent, or for an adult child, or for a sibling. There were times throughout the process that I was unsure whether or not I'd be able to attend my brother's wedding. I didn't know if I would be able to do certain things that I've always wanted to do and to have all of the support come together. I know I always felt very encouraged by that, but I've always wondered who's there for the family system and what are the long-term impacts and effects that these people my family, my friends, my breast cancer support friends, um, the people that have been, you know, part of my intimate and kind of personal and private life throughout this time, the people that have been visiting me at my house during the time I was incapable of walking or feeding myself and doing all sorts of things. What is the impact that I've had on those people? And how can I now make up for that? Because they were all there for me at such a critical time in my life. So I do think a lot about how I can give back on a consistent basis because I feel forever indebted, even to the providers that I had that were there because this is their chosen career. I just, I constantly think about, you know, the role that they're playing in other people's lives, you know, cards and emails and Facebook messages and, you know, photo albums and gratitude, you know, what what is the best way that I can express that to them? So I am often thinking about that. And then in my day-to-day work, working with individuals and families that are going through difficult times in their life, how can I provide kind of a pillar of strength and a mirror for them like I was like I was given during my worst times? I have to imagine that there's an impact on the way that you practice and the way that you look at therapy and the human experiences of the people that you treat having gone through something like this. And I'm always curious to know how that shapes or influences or maybe even changed the way that you approach therapy. Yeah, I think it expands even further. The way I approach friendship, relationships, intimacy, loss, grief, anger, resentment, all of those things, I go in with kind of a new set of lenses. And it allows me to not overthink or take certain things too seriously. It allows me to be a little more playful in certain areas of my life, but also to not allow or accept things that don't make sense. Because the value of today and the present and hope and my life seems so much more sacred knowing that it was in jeopardy at one point. So my role as a clinician and working with other people that care about others on a day-to-day basis, I think that's also shifted quite a bit. I've noticed that I have a genuine appreciation and a bond and a real genuine love for other caretakers that I associate with on a daily basis. And I just, I felt so much support from colleagues, people that have reached out to me and sent greeting cards, even in times when I would not even respond to them. And they continue to support me in various ways, coming to the house with food. But certainly I think about how I show up as a therapist, as a sister, as a partner, as a daughter, as a healer, as a friend. Are there ways that I could do this better? I'm constantly checking myself. And I must say that working with people, I think a lot of the people that were in the role of being a client, knowing that I was going through a medical journey of some sort without too much detail, there was always this huge 
feeling of compassion that I would get from those that I was working with. And almost it kind of made me more real to them that, wow, she is my therapist, but she's also a human being <laughs> kind of going through a difficult time in her life. And while it's a different type of struggle that they might be experiencing, there was a lot of kind of empathizing and compassion that I noticed was happening during these sessions I was having throughout the time I was struggling. But I will say I took off, I definitely learned a lot more about self-care. I took off a lot of time from work so I could f solely focus on myself and make sure that I was in the best mental health and mind space and didn't have compassion fatigue because I was dealing with so much stuff on my, my own. I did take some time to really focus on self-care and self-improvement and support um, before going back to kind of my passion, which is work and being able to give, I wanted to make sure I had enough to give to myself before I could offer to others. Yeah, what a what a perspective, what a healthy perspective. A learned perspective, I would say. Right? What a learned, healthy perspective. <laughs> Thank you. There's an element to, I think, of self-compassion that's worth looking at here because i think often times when we hold ourselves to these high standards we can be very perfectionistic about work a lot of therapists i know are kind of like that really it's uh the kind of work that you really have to be passionate about in order to be effective in it and so we, we can really get wrapped up in over identifying with the work over identifying with the outcomes all that kind of thing and having self-compassion empathy for oneself a lot of times we're really good at doing that for other people, but maybe not for ourselves. And it sounds like your journey has really caused you to have to think about that in a different way. Quite a bit. My whole relationship with self has shifted. I guess my choices on a day-to-day -day basis, but also the choices that kind of mold the framework for my future. I think I'm more mindful of, again, the people I invite into my life, the people I allow to stick around in my life, like where do I wish or intend to place my energy, and also being very mindful if something is incredibly stressful or if something is too much or if something does not fit or feel right, part of my journey of self-care and healing and surviving and now thriving is making sure I eliminate that from my life. Whereas maybe before I had more flexibility and tolerating more stress or more work throughout my day or more, more of the perfectionism piece, I think now I have recognized the beauty of delegating and referring out and finding a happy medium for myself that's going to allow me to continue to prioritize mindfulness and, and self-help and self-compassion and taking care of myself. Because I realized that this thriving thing requires, it's kind of a lifetime process, much like recovery from alcohol or um, drug addiction, it requires daily maintenance. And so that has been a massive <laughs> shift for me where it's not just attending a bar fitness class, it's really taking time out and carving time for that cup of hot tea at the end of the night or the hot bubble bath or calling a couple friends or family or planning for a trip or doing the things that really kind of fill me up and make me feel great and feel like, you know, my life has meaning and I want to feel good during the time I'm doing it, not plan for the future feeling good. I want to have a little piece of that on a day-to-day -day basis. So now that you're at this phase of things, it sounds like your treatments have concluded? 
Yes, just a couple weeks ago, so my treatments have concluded. I have a final surgery uh, next week, and that surgery is going to allow for me to put some closure on this chapter. I, uh, I'm really very excited. I was also nominated um, for 2024. Susan Coleman nominated me as Warrior in Pink, so it's going to give me another opportunity to speak a little bit more about my experience, I hope and to obviously be a part of their Susan Coleman walk and to be another example of somebody who's overcome the treatment aspect and is continuing to stay mindful of my role as a thriver, not just a survivor. So me and many of my friends and family and support system and my breast friend group are all going to be a part of this event, and it's going to be awesome seeing a bunch of women that have also pushed through and survived through this, and a lot of women that are still having to go through this. They can have some level of encouragement seeing people who are on the other side of it. Uh, so tell me more about this pink warrior thing. <laughs> tell me about the organization. I, I, don't, I don't know any of that. Well, I don't know too much about what I'm getting into. I do know more about Amer- American Cancer Um, society because my mom has been kind of like a lifetime volunteer um, advocating for women's rights and breast cancer research and all sorts of really interesting stuff that has now showed up in her daughter's life. She's been doing this as a volunteer, I think somewhere close to 50 years. So the American Cancer Society has done Relay for Life and Making Strides. And those programs and those walks I've been a part of. But what recently happened was Susan Coleman connected with me and I had applied and they did some questioning, not really an interview, but they determined that I would be a good person as kind of an advocate for breast cancer awareness. And they've given me this title of Warrior in Pink for 2024. So I guess that is going to look like more to come. I don't really know what all is involved in that, but certainly I'm going to raise money for breast cancer research and supporting people like these services I mentioned earlier, the massage therapy and the hormone therapy and all of the things that come with the spiritual piece and the palliative care. A lot of those things are, they're paid for through the support that we get at these walks and these events. So there's some big things coming up with this. There are a lot of big things coming up with this, I hope. Oh, that's very exciting. Thank you. My goal is really to help other women who find themselves in this situation after me have hope and have the mindset that they can get through this, even though there are certain things that are going to be very uncomfortable during their journey. So Amy, tell us about the team that you put together. This past October, I started a team called Amy's Angels, and ultimately we raised just over $3,600, and the team was titled a pace setter, which meant that I set a goal, and I exceeded that goal and was able to raise funds for making strides against breast cancer, and ultimately it was an opportunity to get my loved ones together post-treatment and to raise funds for other women that are going through this process and to really motivate one another because at these walks, there are so many hundreds of people that come together, many of which have been either impacted in their own life. And those women are typically wearing survivor t-shirts 
or family members and caretakers and, you know, concerned people that have been impacted in their life by someone who's been diagnosed with this. So it's this awesome, high energy, very fun morning, and they typically start really early. And this past one was in Sunrise, but the next one that's coming up is going to be in downtown West Palm Beach on Flagler on the Water, which is the Susan Komen Walk. It's the Go Pink Walk. And for that walk, I am also going to raise um, funds through my team, Amy's Angels. I'm going to stay consistent with the team name because I think it makes sense. And family and friends are going to come out and we're going to have a great time celebrating truly what I've been talking about through this interview is just life and the present. So with that, one can perceive this as kind of like a sad thing that I have dealt with cancer or that it's thrown me off of my life goals and some of my plans. Or at this point, now that I'm on the other side of my treatment and I believe I'm in remission, I can join together with friends and family and really strangers and other women that have been battling it are also in remission and are considered survivors or people that are actively in treatment and still fighting the good fight to get better. So I'm super excited about these walks. I love meeting women that have been in a similar situation or are currently in the situation. The breast cancer support group that I'm a part of is all women that have been diagnosed as quote unquote young women, (laughs) although I'm not that young, but people in their 20s, 30s and early 40s that were diagnosed and have gone through treatment at a young age because some of the side effects of treatment unfortunately eliminate certain realities for women in that situation. And so, you know, we speak about all sorts of personal stuff and we've bonded and it's just been a beautiful opportunity to meet with other women that can support each other's process and their journey. So I'm excited. I'm excited about the upcoming walks. I'm excited about the opportunity to speak about this further down the line. And I'm excited about what's to come in terms of my new perception of reality for myself and for the people I get to work with and spend time with. Well, that's really exciting, Amy. As I said before, it's hard not to be inspired by the way that you approach what was really a potentially life-threatening condition. And here you are, you have leaned heavily into this advocacy, met all kinds of people, really embraced your recovery and current realities that you're in. Doesn't sound like you really accept a whole lot of limitation in your life based on this, which is always amazing when people can approach these kinds of situations with that type of attitude. You sort of wish that for everybody who gets sick. So for you, in terms of your practice, I know you had to take a little bit of time off, obviously, to deal with your medical stuff. Yeah. So I have been working virtually for the past year and a half, and it has been very eye-opening because, you know, even during the COVID time, when people were very much cautious and working virtually, I did a lot of in-person therapy sessions throughout that time. I did not transition my practice from in-person to virtual when a lot of my colleagues did. And it has been very difficult making a commitment to work individually and alone in a home office. But certainly it may do and it worked. And there are several people that I have started working with about a year ago, year and a half ago, that have been fully virtual that I feel I've built great rapport with. We've made some great headway and some great progress. And people have been able to get better 
because of this awesome, <laughs> in 2023, we have the technology and the reality is that we could have virtual therapy and online therapy. And it's been effective during the time that I was capable of going back into my practice. More recently, I've been thinking about how I'm going to transition back into in-person work, both in my private practice in Boca and also back at Arenda where I consult as a family therapist. They've been gracious enough to allow me to work virtually only since I was diagnosed. So I'm hoping to get back in person and have more interactions with other healers and other colleagues and other people that serve the clients that we work with because part of the community is so important for me to continue to stay connected and feel good about my day-to-day interactions with other people that are helping others. I will say um, during this time, I also joined a peer supervision group, and that's another outlet and avenue for me to connect with like-minded people that are you know, on the same path, they're doing great things, they're helping other people heal and get better. So that's been another piece that's been really helpful to me. So I just look forward to creating some new ideas within the practice, maybe at some point creating a support group in the practice or a support group virtually for breast cancer survivors or for cancer survivors, or maybe even family members of those who have gone through this journey. And I'm excited about it. There's a lot to develop and a lot to think about. And I want to make the pain that I went through purpose-driven. I really want to somehow transition I call it pain into purpose and find a way to make my experience meaningful to others. I have to imagine that whole mentality threading into your work as a therapist, probably very inspiring, shaping the way that you're working with people. And my guess is that these clients are the beneficiary of that and that the quality of these relationships is acquiring pretty intense level of depth. I couldn't agree more. I think that... While I've always loved working with people and felt very much this ability to empathize with people in very difficult situations, this gives me an added richness to my ability to connect. So certainly the work that I've done in the more recent months has been incredibly meaningful. And I think the work that I've been able to do during the time that I've been out, once I started to get better, created so much purpose just seemed that higher power and spirituality would really present themselves in times when I've been struggling because of my medical condition, Yet, but yet despite that, I could carry along this message where I can provide hope for somebody at the same time that I'm actively struggling with my medical condition, I can provide hope for somebody maybe in their recovery or in their relational issues or in their, you know, with their mental health. So it's been a really beautiful piece, you know, of life that I've been given, despite the fact that it's not what I chose. I'm trying to make the best of the situation and see things through a pretty bright lens. See that. So let me ask you this. If uh, someone, you know, wanted to get in touch with you about therapy or something like that, what's the best way to uh, get in touch with you? Wow. Well, certainly calling is the most direct calling or texting, but also they could check out my website. My website is www.mytherapistamy.com, but they can also contact me by phone. 
for the most part, everything is on the website. There's there's a way to connect with me through submitting an informational request or a consultation request, and that would be one way. Or the phone number and email address are on there. You can connect with me directly that way. All right, super. So it's mytherapistamy.com for any folks out there that are wanting to get in touch with Amy Effman over here, if you want to talk to her a little bit more, you know, about maybe doing some sessions or something like that. You know, we kind of didn't talk as much about the therapist we did about your personal story, but Amy is a, a very accomplished marriage and family therapist and also a uh, substance use disorder treatment specialist and merges those two things. It's a pretty unique specialty. So thank you for coming in here and sharing your personal story. I really appreciate it. And it was really great to have you here. It's nice to see you recovering so well. It's been a little while since we caught up, and it's great to see you here today. Yeah, thank you so very much for your compassion and your interest in not only my story, but in the ability for me to share this with other people. If it can provide hope to anyone who might be listening, who could be going through this, or maybe a family member is going through this, I think that that's really, that's been my intention and my goal. And I really value and respect your time. And thank you for taking the time to, to interview me. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was Amy Effman here on the Good Counsel Podcast. See you all soon.